I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres such as slashers, vampires, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. What's up, everybody? We're back for episode 12. Holy crap. And uh, we're coming back around to slashers where we started it all. Yes, we are. First, I thought I was going to wait longer, and I was like, wow, fuck it. Slashers are fun. Yeah. We're not doing just any slasher franchise, though. We're doing the Scream franchise. Something that's near and dear to both of us. We're going to include the trilogy and what happened after. Yeah, unfortunately. Actually, my thoughts on that might be different now after watching them all back to back. I mean, this is our generation slasher. Like in the mid 30s, you were you were the appropriate age to watch Scream when it came out. Yeah. I mean, like we were the age the characters were supposed to be, not what the actors actually were. Yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. Spoiler warning. Yeah, there's no way to talk about these in great detail without spoiling it. If if. Uh, anyone who's listening that hasn't seen these movies, one, why are you listening to us if you haven't seen these movies? <laughs> Two, go see them. Come back and listen, but go see them. I mean, we put, like, depending on what app you're using, some of them don't show the detailed show description notes, but I put the movies in there. Just take a peek at that. I've had people message me that, oh, man, I'd never heard of this movie or I hadn't seen it yet, and I listened to it, and I went and watched it, and I loved it. Thank you. And they've been sending me that, and I'm like, why are you uh, not watching the movie before you listen to the episode? <laughs> But, you know, to each their own, right? Yep. I try not to spoil whodunits generally if we don't have to, but, I mean, we're going all in on Scream. Absolutely. You got to start with anything at the beginning. So we got Scream in 1996. You know, we had just gotten Windows 95 by then. It only been out a year. We just <laughs> just now had, like, almost modern-looking computers. It's hard to think of it like that, right? Yeah, we almost had useful internet. Almost. I mean, Sydney didn't even have like a GUI on her fucking computer. It was still text-based, man. Yep. Let's just think it's a blast from the past. This movie was made in a time when horror movies were on a decline. But not only were horror movies on a decline, slasher movies were pretty much fucking done for. Yeah, they were dead. We covered that on the Slashers episode, but I mean, there had only been sequels and they're killing off like the big three. And even Wes Craven wasn't making good movies. He had his shitty you know, fucking Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah. And like Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, and uh, when Dimension got their hands on the script, they didn't really have to bid hard for it because nobody wanted to make a horror movie. No. I think it was Bob Weinstein's decision to, to get Wes to do it. But yeah, he was definitely the first choice that the, the script was originally brought to to direct. And he passed on it the first time. Yeah, he, um, that's actually a funny story. He was reading the script and he got to... The part at the beginning where Casey's character's intestines are hanging out and she's hanging from the tree. And he's like, not this fucking shit again. I don't want to do this again. And then he was at like a comic con or something. And a kid was talking to him and a kid told me he had gotten too soft. Yeah, said his shit has gotten weak. And it pissed him off so bad that he called Bob back and he said he'd do the movie. So like his pride got us this film. I mean, this film definitely revitalized slashers. It's just they didn't continue going as strong as they did in the 80s. Yeah, we got another rush of quote unquote, me two movies, but at least they were, at least the first couple were written by the same writers. So yeah, Kevin Williamson was pretty busy there at the end of the nineties for better or worse. I mean, he's still going just in different capacities. No. So when Kevin wrote the movie, he wanted it to be very meta. He wanted it to reference the genre a lot. He wanted it to reference the nineties a lot. And that is normally a big no, 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 because you want a movie to be timeless. And the only way to keep it timeless is to keep it out of time. Yeah. This movie broke that rule, and I, I think if you try to replicate it in a horror movie or any other kind of movie, it's going to fail. It is. It's a general rule, but in this movie, it is fucking what made it last this test of time, I think. That's what's so great about it. I was recently talking to the wife about this, that if it feels like when you go back and watch this movie, even just the look of it doesn't feel like any other movie, and it doesn't feel dated. Um, no. As a matter of fact, they, they even did good with the soundtrack where there's only one song on the soundtrack that dates the movie, to me at least. Which one's that? Um, I think it's Elastica in the, the party scene. I like that one in them. It fits, though. But, it fits. But like the Bird Brain song, the Youth of America, yeah. that's still, that works to this day. Um, but no, it really, it did was it, what it wasn't supposed to do, and it still worked. Right, right. I mean, it broke every rule for the most part. It's very interesting when Wes Craven and team were, were looking at the script, Kevin kept referencing this ghost mask and they had KNB studios in and I think Berger was in charge, right? Yeah. And uh, they just kept making different types of ghoul and zombie masks, which when you see the sketch works for them, they're pretty cool for like a Scooby-Doo villain. Well, either that or like in the, the evil dead universe. Right, right. But they, 
They would have been the worst fucking slasher mask I've ever seen in my life yes. if, they had, if they had used them. But Wes kept getting them to, you know, like come back with different prototypes and whatnot. And the uh, location scout was scouting out different houses and stuff for the movie. Yep. Went in a room and on, I think it was on a bedpost, right? There was just the ghost mask. Yep. Because that mask, I mean, I remember us using it in a school project a couple years before Scream came out. That mask has been around forever. And Wes loved it, and he went to K&B, and he's like, make me one of these. So they made different prototypes, adjusting so the eyes, adjusting the nose a little bit, adjusting the mouth. Wes didn't like them. He did not like them as much as the original mask. Another real interesting thing about the, the location scout finding that the only reason they went to that house is because it was used in a Hitchcock movie. Oh. I forget which movie it was, but that's why they were scouting that house. But yeah, serendipity, the mask. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just dumb luck fell on his lap. Wes liked it so much that he started shooting scenes using the real mask without permission. No. And he got really lucky because somebody looked at one of the packages and saw where it said Fun World, did a little research, you know, pre-real internet here, discovered it was a mom and pop. Yeah. Called the company. They were like, uh, and I saw an interview. They're interviewing the guys that run Fun World. And they're like, a horror movie wants to use our mask. That's pretty cool. All we ask that they mention, you know, thanks to Fun World for letting us use the mask in the credits and send us a hundred bucks. Yep. Terrible fucking decision. Yeah, it was. If you notice after that, though, they started releasing official Ghostface costumes and masks. Fun World does it. And it actually says Ghostface property or Fun World in Scream 2 onward in the credits. Yeah. So, so they, they got their due. I bet Wes threw him a kickback probably after that. Yeah. But even like you said, even with the popularity of the films and the licensed costumes thereafter, they made their money. Right, right. And it's such an iconic mask while being so simple. But the, the better slasher masks always are yep. the simple ones, right? Bob Weinstein, on the other hand, fucking. Hated the mask and he got mad and he called and he was like, I want seven or eight of the prototype masks brought to me. I'm picking the mask. I don't know if it's the assistant director or what, but she was like, Bob, Bob, let's cut you something together and bring it to you yeah. and let you watch it. And we'll do whatever the fuck you say if you don't like it. So Wes was actually having to cut at night after they were filming or cut it day after they filmed at night. Yeah. And they put together the whole opening scene with Drew Barrymore. And sent it to Bob and he called and said, I guess I don't fucking know anything about mask or, you know, something to that effect. And, and they got to use the mask they wanted to use. Speaking of Drew Barrymore, she's a very interesting part of this tale as well. Yeah. They cast her because she was, I mean, she's the most famous person in the movie and she was supposed to be Sydney, the main character. Yeah. Almost all the way up to like a few weeks before they started filming. And she decided she didn't want to be Sydney. She didn't feel like doing the whole movie. And they were like, Oh no, what are we going to do it? And it was Drew Barrymore's idea to be the opening girl. Yep. She dies a few minutes into the movie. Yeah, like 13 minutes in. However, she's the poster girl. She's the movie case girl. And the trailer was her phone conversation. Yep. For the most part. People went in this movie thinking Drew Barrymore is the star and she's off in like 10 minutes. That never fucking happens in a movie. No. If it does happen, it's fucking paying back to this, right? Exactly. They needed a voice. Uh, I think they were playing with different effects and stuff, trying to get the voice. I don't know how they found Roger Jackson. They ended up uh, looking for just a local voice actor. They okay. reached the point where they're like, let's just see if there's any local talent that can do this. And that's who they got. Yeah, and they got Roger Jackson. His voice is fantastic. I saw an interview with him. Actually, I heard an interview. I didn't actually see him getting interviewed, which is going to be funny here in a second. <laughs> But he said people always ask him what effects he put on his voice. And he's like, that's just my voice. Yep. The way they filmed the scenes of the movie, Wes wanted everybody to be afraid of Roger Jackson. So they never got to meet him or see his face. Yep. So what they would do is they would have actual phones in the house with different lines. And Roger Jackson was off site and he had a camera so he could see like point of view, like what the actors were doing to react off of him. Yeah. And they had to have an actual phone conversation with him. So the, the slight effect you get on it is just that it's coming from a phone. Yeah. Funny thing is they forgot to cut the live line, though, when they first started filming the movie. Drew Barrymore accidentally called 911 a couple of times. Yeah, well, they had the, a phone box so they could actually run two lines and there was a power search mm -hmm. and it blew out the phone box. But the house did have two CO office lines, so they just plugged in those phones. And then Drew Barrymore ended up calling 911 on the hotline. <laughs> yeah, and then they just hear fucking Drew Barrymore screaming, and they didn't just immediately roll police out. They called, and they're like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. They had to explain it, but it's pretty funny. This movie really didn't have a star. It had an ensemble cast. Yeah. They just said it before. It was like the Friends of Horror Movies. Yep. Which they even had Courtney Cox in it. Yeah. You had, you know what, Skeet Ulrich. You had Matthew Lillard. You had Nev Campbell. You had Rose McGowan. You had Jamie Kennedy. And... David Arquette. I mean, like just everybody yeah. was the star. Yeah. And it was funny because there was so many people that, that were pulled in different directions that they wanted to be on that cast that could have just changed the dynamics so much from what we got. 
there's so many famous people that could have been, and some of them might have worked. Some of them got to show up in sequels. Yeah, and some of them got to be another Kevin Williams in slasher <laughs> movies, Alicia Witt. I think they made the right decision with everybody. Oh, really, absolutely. Really do. Um, Wes Craven and Kevin let them, as long as they stuck to the point, they got to ad lib. Yep. And a lot of my favorite lines in the movie were made up. Yep. Uh, you hit me at the phone, you dick, is because he had too much blood on his hand. It slipped out and he, he hit him with the phone because he's a dick, right? <laughs> uh, Houston, we got a problem here, was ad libbed. Um, always had a thing for you, Sid. In your dreams, ad libbed. Like, just like most of the best lines the fucking crew did. Yeah. Wes sent the movie off, you know, to the MPAA to get a rating. NC-17. I think he sent it off eight or nine times, right? Uh, yeah, I think he says like nine times. Yeah, and, uh, you know, sometimes they were like, well, we don't like the how graphic it is when Drew Barrymore gets stabbed at the beginning. Wes lied and said there was no other cuts, and they couldn't reshoot the scene. Yeah. So he got by with that one. I don't know how you can just say, oh, we can't redo that scene, and it worked, but he did it. When she's hanging from the tree, it always did that really weird, I thought it was artsy, like quick cut. Yeah. Because it's missing frames. Yep. It's because they said it was too graphic watching her hang there, so they cut frames out to make it not on screen as long. Exactly. The editor said the only one that he really was mad they had to cut was Billy and Stu stabbing each other at the end. Yeah. Because he said it was just so visceral, and just watching them do it over and over again was just fucked up, and he wished it was stayed, but they had to cut that. Still in C-17, and then Bob Weinstein said, hold on, Wes, and he called the MPAA. I don't know if it's like 1-800 number or what. Yeah. He called somebody. And he called back Wes and he said, you got your R rating. He said, what'd you do? He's like, I told him it was a comedy movie and not a horror movie. So they stamped it approved. And what's interesting about that is the school that they originally wanted to shoot at, the way they got in there was they, they said that it was a teen comedy and the local you know, principal and everybody was like, oh, okay, cool. And then by the time it got up to the school board, they're like, we don't like this whole teen violence thing that's going on right now. There's a murder that happened here that's fresh in people's minds still and had a whole town hall meeting about it and uh, ended up not getting to shoot there. But Wes actually snuck a punch in in the credits of the film um, to that school board. Um, I forget the name of the school board, but during the thanks, it says an absolutely no Thanksgiving to I think, I think it's Santa, Santa Rosa. Rosa. Yeah. Okay, no Thanksgiving to Santa Rosa school board. So this is a neat little thing. Wes, there's a reason that my wife and I say if we have a son that part of his name is going to be Wes. Like watching his interviews, there's he goes from so serious and so professional to so funny and so human. You know what I mean? Right, right. And uh, I don't know. That whole thing just really humanizes him to me. I know you can't wait till we do him as a director. Yes, it's going to be it's going to be rough. It's going to be a long <laughs> one, long one. But uh, Bob Weinstein had one last good idea at the end. He said horror people like to watch movies during Christmas time, too. So let's release it on December 20th. No, nope. everybody thought it was a terrible idea. They launched it and it did not do well open a weekend. It did okay, but it, if it if it had went there and then dropped, it didn't do good. Correct, because you always <laughs> drop, right? Yeah. This movie was busier every week yep. because word of mouth traveled and it became the phenomenon that it is now. Exactly. But now that we've gushed over the past, the origins. Bob actually had one more good idea regarding this movie because up until towards the end of filming, the movie was titled Scary Movie. <laughs> How did I forget? And he hated that. And he made him change it to Scream, right. which everyone involved in the movie hated. But it was right. And uh, the one of the documentaries that I saw, Rose McGowan actually has yeah. a bottle of wine from the rap party that says Scary Movie on it. You know, I mean, how'd you like had, to find that shit on eBay? Right. They had hats, shirts, everything. I think there were posters made that said Scary Movie. Yep. They actually added Matthew Lillard doing the, it's a Scream, baby, from what I read. Yep. So that's pretty fascinating. They changed the movie last minute. And then Scary Movie got used as a spoof. Exactly. Name, right? So that's fucking fantastic. But anyways, we're here to talk about the movie. So let's dive into Scream 1 a little bit. Came out in 96. And we open up with Drew Barrymore, right? In her house. Making some Jiffy Pop. Yep. I remember when they had the Scream Jiffy Pop she could buy. Do you remember those? Those yep. fucking awesome. Phone rings. And you got the creepy voice. And guys, you know, basically flirting with her. Sounds like. And talking to her about scary movies, right? Yep. And, um... I mean, long story short, he ends up doing like a trivia thing. She realized the guy's there because he gives the, uh, there's a bunch of creepy lines in there, but like, I want to know who I'm looking at. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get you like a fish you hear. I fucking love that one. You got the, you like scary movies. You know, there's yep. so many good lines in there, but she ends up finding out that her boyfriend, Steve, the big football player is going to come and kick the person's ass. Right. And they're like, oh, look on your back porch. And there's Steve duct tape and tied up. Yeah. Cause he's like, turn on the patio light. Again. Right, right. <laughs> and you can see Steve there, and he's kind of yelling for help, and they turn the light out, 
And if you saw it in theaters, you know, the lights turn back on and you can see his face and he's in pain and he's dead. But if you watch the unrated version, which is just this opening scene is so far superior in it, fucking completely gutted and all his intestines just slide out on the porch. Nope. I remember the first time I saw that when I got the unrated cut, I was like, that is fucking awesome. You know, she gets tricked with the, he's asking horror movie trivia and it's who's the killer in Friday the 13th. And of course she yells, Jason, fucking Jason, you know, and yep. it's not. <laughs> But the killer ends up getting in the house, chasing her around. Uh, the Jiffy Pop catches on fire. She's trying to get away, and her parents come home, but the struggle has gone outside at this point. Yeah. And the mom, your one, one of the parents puts the fire out on the stove, picks up the phone to call 911 because there's a fire and their daughter's missing, and they can hear getting murdered on the phone, which is fucking terrible if you think about it. Like, that's some dark, you know, yeah, that is, imagery there. Yes. <laughs> and she gets murdered, and then... The dad says, you know, go down the street to the McKenzie's, which I love that part because that's what Jamie Lee Curtis tells the kids at the end of Halloween, go down to the McKenzie's house and call the police, goes outside. And then theatrical version, you get that really yeah, weird cut. Stutter missing. zoom thing. Right, right, right. And, and she's hanging there. It was actually but, a dummy. Yeah, yeah, it was a dummy. It wasn't even Drew Barrymore. Yeah. In the unrated version, it's it's there and there's all of her organs on the ground under her with fucking steam just yeah. like coming off like at the chimney. Fucking fantastic. Like the unrated movie is so much darker while still keeping comedy because comedy was key in this fucking movie. Like while still yep. being a terrifying slasher to most people. Yeah. That's what we talked about when we mentioned this in slashers was this movie shows exactly how far you can push comedy and not make the movie turn the corner. Right. But you know, so now we've seen the famous person from the movie get killed and your yeah. mind's blown. If you've never seen yeah, it, what the fuck they got to do now? And then we cut to Nev Campbell in her room and her PJs, right? Getting ready for bed. And all of a sudden, Johnny Depp from Nightmare on Elm Street climbs up the window, right? <laughs> no, it's Skeet Ulrich, and that haircut was fucking spot on for, yeah. for Depp. And, uh, you know, just just like any of us when we're a teenager, you watch The Exorcist, and you think about the woman you love, yeah, right? Yeah. And going and getting laid, right? Exactly. <laughs> happens. And he shows up, and you get this really corny speech to this terrible rendition of Don't Fear the Reaper. Yeah. About like, you know, he wants the relationship to be rated R, hey, but to, you still, mm-hmm. to be fair, that rendition of Don't Fear the Reaper is not as bad as the one in the credits of the Frighteners. Correct. <laughs> it's actually not bad. I shit on it just because it's so slow, but yeah. it is so fitting for that scene. It is. But, you know, she goes, would you settle for a PG-13, you know, and the boob flash. We don't yeah. get the boob flash. Yeah, we it. never get it. Somewhere there and though, the dad tries to come in the room. Yeah. And uh, her closet door, she positions it in a way to catch the doorknob. And that comes in handy a couple times later. Yeah. I don't remember if it's specifically then, but you find out that it's around the anniversary of her mother getting murdered by a guy named Cotton Weary. Yeah. And the dad's going out of town, yeah. right? Like on like a business trip. And, you know, they're just kind of a little worried about leaving, leaving her alone around this time of year. Yeah. We cut to school the next day and all the friends are hanging out and they find out that Casey and Steve have been murdered. Yep. So the police are there and they are interviewing all the students. Like, what do you know? Anything. Matthew Lillard, I think they grill him a little harder, right? Because he used to date Casey. Yeah. But the town's basically in a panic because this murder kind of reminded him of when Maureen Prescott got murdered. Yeah. I mean, they know it's not the same killer because he's in jail, right? But it's the biggest thing to happen in this small town since then. So then after that, we cut to Sid's house and she's waiting on Tatum to come pick her up. And she falls asleep and she gets the phone call. Yep. And it's uh, it's the killer's voice again. She doesn't know that. Nobody knows about the phone calls yet. And she's fucking with the killer. And it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's dumb that the big boob blonde runs up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. She does the picking her nose thing up front. Yep. Oh, you're looking at me. What am I doing? Hello. And uh, the killer's in the house already. He's in the closet. Yep. Waiting to fuck with her. What does she do? Up the stairs. Straight up the stairs. Yes. I fucking love like the irony of that because she's like the smart, tough final girl. Still went up the stairs after she called herself out on it. She does the door trick, right? Yep. That she did with her dad. The killer leaves. Dewey shows up. I don't know. Oh, she did the 911 call on the phone, right? Yeah, which is dumb because the phone line's already been cut at that point. Yeah. So we know that's the only internet, but whatever. Most people had two lines, though, for the modem, so it wasn't busy when you called. You know what? That's probably true because I just grew up poor. <laughs> <laughs> it was common, though, so that you could still use the phone while someone was on the internet. True. Um, but Billy, her boyfriend shows up and drops a cell phone that she didn't know he had after Dewey finds the costume. So it's looking real suspicious for Billy and he gets arrested. She ends up staying at Tatum's house, which is her best friend and deputy Dewey's sister. 
the killer calls there, right? Which it can't be Billy's in jail. Yeah. Dewey answers the phone. He has a really creepy face. The red herrings are so strong in this movie. Yeah, and they're everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, at one point in time in the movie, I thought Billy was the killer. I thought Stu was the killer. I thought Dewey was the killer. I thought Gail and her cameraman were the killer at one point. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't go there. I don't went think, everywhere. I don't think I ever thought that Tatum was the killer or Randy. No. But yeah, I Randy, definitely, Randy was too obvious and Tatum was just a supporting character. So we end back up at school the next day, right? Yep. And Billy bumps into uh, Sid and he's got the, he shows that he's got the ink on his fingerprints from when they fingerprinted him. Yeah. Saying how he can't be the killer. And then she says something out of the killer called and it couldn't have been him. So they're okay. She goes to the bathroom and uh, hides in the, I don't remember why she's in the stall, but I remember there's some girls and they're talking real bitchy about her and she's just hiding, you know? Yeah. And the girls leave and she comes out of the stall and the killer's been waiting in the stall the whole time and comes after she gets away again and uh, school gets canceled. Right. And the town basically yep. goes on lockdown. Interesting enough, though, apparently there was a scene that was cut where she ran into the principal's office. That's where she ran to. Oh, really? And that's why school got canceled. But they no cut kidding. that out. So it just kind of jumps to it. And of course, the principal's the Fonz. Yeah. And you see him yelling at some kids that have a scream mask. So it's actually kind of ambiguous or a ghost face mask. It's actually kind of ambiguous whether the actual ghost face was in the bathroom or yeah. if it was a prank. Exactly. Yeah. It's never really, it's never really given. You don't know. You right. really don't. You never know. And at this point in the movie, there's kind of flirts with the supernatural element right. just because of Ghostface being so many places. Yeah. So you really don't know. Everybody's a suspect. Everybody's a suspect. We don't know if it's supernatural. You get this really cool scene with the Fonz yelling at some kids. And those are real scissors. Did you know that? Yeah. Those giant ass scissors. And that kid's fear was because there are real scissors being dragged across his chest and right there. <laughs> And uh, unfortunately, the Fonz gets it. Yep. Right after he talks to uh, Fred, the janitor. Yeah. Which, which is Wes Craven in a Freddy sweater and hats. Yep. And, and he gets it and he, it's a pretty good scream there. Wes had to work with him a bit. but he, he did, but that's the one that when we talked about it before, I love that, man. I like his, his the way he shifts his eyes, I don't like, but just the, the sound of his voice, I buy it, man. I so buy it. Just like any slasher movie or, or adolescent horror movie. Shit's on lockdown. We got to have a party. Got to have a party. So now we get the infamous scene 118, right? And um, if I recall correctly, this scene is 42 minutes of the movie, yep. but it took 21 days to film it. And by days, I mean night. Yep. It was uh, cold as shit, too. <laughs> and uh, at the end, the entire cast and crew got shirts made that said, I survived scene 118. Yep. Which I got to give a shout out real quick. I happen to be wearing one of those shirts right now. <laughs> not an original. It is a reprint. I'm not going not gonna to lie like that. But uh, I had to borrow it from the wife. It's hers. So thank you. Yeah, it's a pretty cool shirt, man. I didn't even know you guys had that one. So, but at this point, uh, I don't know. We see the cops talking about the lockdown uh, as Deputy Dewey and like the chief. And, and we find out that this is for sure when we find out the calls are traced back to uh, Neil Prescott's phone. Yes. So they're at this point, Sydney's dad's a suspect and they're looking for him. Dude throws a giant party with his fucking Hugh Hefner coat on at his big ass house. Fucking Gail shows up with her cameraman, Kenny. She's wanting to like go in and see what's going on. There's been a little bit of flirting with her and Dewey throughout the movie. So Dewey yeah. shows up because he knows about the party. Takes Gail in. She's like, he's the inside man, right? She hides a hidden camera, which is on a delay, we find out. That comes in handy later. And they get a, a call about a suspicious car down the road, right? They do. There's a quick little Easter egg that harkens back to another Easter egg when she's sliding the camera under the TV. Marrats. Clerks. Oh, yeah. And earlier in the film, when they're in the video store, there's a Clerks poster. Of course, yeah. to mention, of course, that's why we're seeing that. But. But the party progresses. We Dewey and Gail go to check out a suspicious car parked at the end of the road that's yep. Neil's, they think, right? Yep. That's what they figure out. So that gets them out of there. It looks like Randy's kind of hosting the movies that are playing. Stu's got the beer bong and whatnot, drinking. Billy, I don't think, was invited, right? I mean, he shows up, but he's yeah. not there initially. Tatum has the scene where she goes to get the beer. Awesome fight scene. Like her, yep. like just fucking nailing him with the beer bottles that I spit on your garage. And she puts up a good fight. Then she tries to crawl through a doggy door, which there's a couple of jokes I make here because she gets in the doggy door and it lifts up and uh, and it kills her, right? Yeah. And it just crushes her when it goes all the way up. Pretty gruesome scene watching her head get smushed by the top of the garage. It is. There's also something really important in that scene of another, I believe, ad lib line where she says, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. And that's the only time that Ghostface is ever used. That was not the name of the mask or the killer in any of the shit, but that's what ended up sticking. I never thought about that. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. 
So Tatum's knocked out, not unconscious. She's out of the movie. Yeah, her and, brains are leaking out of her head at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Billy shows up at the party, and, you know, Randy's upset because there goes his chance. Alicia. And and the rules, we're going to go over the rules for every single movie because if you don't know the rules. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Then you're not cool in my book. But in Scream 1, Randy lets you know, you may not survive a horror movie if you have sex. It's a no-no, right? Nope. Big no-no! You might die if you drink or do drugs. Extension of rule number one, right? Yep. The sin factor. And under no circumstance do you ever say, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. But, you know, he gives the rules, and, and, and meanwhile, these rules are being broken by Sid as her and Billy have sex upstairs. And they wrap it up, and they start talking, and that's when she asks, you know, who'd you use your one phone call? Because yep. it'd be really clever if you were the killer to call me to throw everyone off. And then Ghostface comes in and kills Billy. Yep. Gets stabbed in the gut there, and I'm like, fuck, he's not the killer. You know, completely knocked him off my list. Exactly. Tax. Sydney and she's running through the house and it's kind of confusing because the killer's popping out different places. Yeah. Cause apparently there's like he knows the layout of the house or something. Definitely. And you can run around in this place. I don't remember why she doesn't see the rest of the party people, but she ends up out of the house. They get a call that the principal's body was strung up on the goalpost. Right. And most of the people leave to go, let's go get it before they cut him down or let's go see it before they cut it down. Or and Randy's shit. passed out drunk, but I remember uh, Dewey gets the call and they're walking back, and he goes to check out the house. Meanwhile, Gail goes to get Kenny to say that, oh, it's Neil, and this, this, and that. Kenny gets his throat slit when he's trying to save, I want to say he's trying to save Randy, right? Because the killer's walking up behind Randy to kill him, and he can see it. Yeah. And then Gail comes back and gets in the van. Get your fat fucking ass off of my van, you know, because Kenny's dead on there. She drives off and sees Sid in the road waving for help. Yeah. And swerves to not hit Sid and has a car accident, right? Yep. And you don't know if she's dead or not. She just left that way. She looked dead, man. Still does. I think Sid runs back in the house at that point. She does. So at this point, we've got Gail's out of the picture. I think this is when Dewey gets stabbed in the back. Tatum's dead in the garage. Um, we don't know where Randy or Stu is. And Billy's dead upstairs. So Sid runs in the house, and Billy comes rolling down the stairs with blood. And uh, Stu and Randy run up and they're like, let me in, let me in, Sid. And she's like, you know, they're, they're blaming each other. And she's like, fuck you both. Yep. Shuts the door. Gives Billy the gun, which, I mean, if you're the healthy one, you should be holding the gun. I feel like. You would think so. And Billy lets Randy in and fucking shoots him. Yep. We all go a little mad sometimes. Well, that's you know? when we get it. And uh, that's when we realize that Billy's not actually dead. And he gives the corn syrup and food coloring. Which is what they actually used for blood in this movie. Yeah. As well as Carrie that he references. As well as all of mine and Josh's uh, footage from yeah. back in the day of us trying to make our, special our effects. test shots. Those test shots that we're going to use them one day for something, God damn it. <laughs> and, and then Stu comes in the house and he's got the voice changer, right? So we figure out yep. that both Billy and Stu are the killers. My fucking brain exploded when I saw yeah. the movie the first time. I knew each one of those motherfucker was a killer at different point in times in the movie. Never occurred to me that there could be two killers. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I don't know if there had ever been two killers before right then. If there had been, it was not in a prominent movie. Right. And it wasn't in like a whodunit fashion, yeah. you know, where it ends up being two people. But you find out that Marine Prescott was fucking Billy's dad. Yep. Calls a divorce. He's got mommy issues. Yep. He killed that slut bag whore that's flashing her tits all over town like she's some Sharon Stone or something. Because <laughs> let's face it, Sid, your mother was no Sharon Stone. <laughs> they got Neil tied up, duct tape, in the uh, pantry. He's yep. been there the whole time. Luckily, nobody needed a snack. I Found know, right? Kitchen. How long's he been in there? I mean, how many parties have you been to and like not raided the kitchen at some point? Yeah. You know, when you're drinking that much. But they got this whole plan, the clone cell phone. It's in his pocket. Uh, he's going to be set up as the killer. Yeah. And Billy and Stu are fucking stabbing each other to make it look like they have injuries. And, you know, movies don't make killers. Movies make them more creative and this, this, and that. Yep. And uh, Gail shows up at some point and surprises them. She takes the gun. Yeah. Right? Because they left it on the counter. Houston, we, we have a problem here. And Sid uses this time to, to kind of get away. No. Sid calls Stu with the uh, voice changer. My mom and dad I know she gets into a fight with Stu. The, the, that whole, you know, I always had a thing for you. Sid was ad-libbed and she gets him with the TV, right? She crushed the TV on his head. Yeah. But Billy's running around trying to find Sid and he goes to a closet. She comes out in the ghost face costume with the umbrella and stabs him with it. 
Uh, he ends up getting shot and falling over. We find out Randy's not dead. Yep. And he's like, this is the moment where the supposedly dead killer gets up for one last scare. And he jumps up like the goddamn werewolf at the end of Silver Bullet and pow, right in the fucking forehead. And he's down. Yep. And we get the not in my movie. Yep. And uh, then the most important thing we find out is uh, Deputy Doofy's alive. You know, as he's getting rolled into the ambulance, he's fucking waving. Oh, you called him Doofy. That's funny. <laughs> I went poopy. was good. <laughs> Maybe a change of short, son. <laughs> but, you know, the credits roll and we have our first Scream movie, which yep. revitalized slashers and horror films alike there at the end of the 90s. Yeah, it was, it was really crazy because it came out. It came out of left field. Nobody was expecting it. They released it, you know, December 20th, right at Christmas. There's nothing really to go up against. And the joke was made, you know, because Wes was like, why are you doing this? This is a horrible idea. And it's like, what are all the horror fans doing around Christmas time? They need something to go watch. There's right. nothing for them. We're going to get them all. <laughs> and it's just really interesting because I don't know if Kevin Williamson had done anything of merit at this point. It was this pre-Dawson's Creek and everything, right? It was. And uh, he wrote the script uh, after seeing the Gainesville Ripper. Danny Rowling, the serial killer, yep. killed a bunch of college students, and it gave him the idea. Yeah, he was house-sitting for a friend and saw it on the news, so he's seeing this on the news, and this guy was fucked up. He was, like, yeah. cutting people's heads off and leaving them on mantles and shit. Right, right, right. I mean, he was, like, a real-life slasher. Yeah, and so he's in this creepy house that he knows nothing about watching this shit, and he, like, drove off to a hotel somewhere and locked himself in there and wrote the damn script. I know he <gasps> called a friend. Like, oh, I'm scared, man. You got to talk to me. Let's talk about serial killer. And then they started talking about horror movies, which was, like, escalating. Okay. The problem, and that's when he started getting ideas, and he gotcha. And scribbled it out, and he made. I mean, honestly, it's one of the greatest slasher and horror film movies of all time. Oh yeah, I'm just gonna say it. Like you can, I've actually never met anybody who didn't like Scream. No, it's a very well accepted and received movie by horror fans. And like you said, it broke a lot of rules and and broke the mold on what you were not supposed to do in a movie, and still stands the test time better than most of the sequels do. Yeah, like they feel dated a lot. This movie somehow pulled off not doing that while throwing in. I mean. We said in the slash episode, but throwing in all the horror movie references that the horror nerds could get watching the movie and everything. And you just, you were a part of it. Yeah. And, and, you, and it made you feel like you knew what was going on. And every time you thought you had it figured out, it would take another turn, which was really fun. Right. And then, you know, just like every fucking horror movie franchise, the first one's famous and makes a shit ton of money. You got to have that second one out the next year. Let's face it, baby. These days. When the script for the first Scream was actually sold, there were some extra pages at the end. And I don't remember if it was the outline, first 30 minutes or what, but it was actually the start of a sequel. And what was it? Six months after Scream came out, they already went into pre-production on the sequel Scream 2, which is why it came out so fast. Very next year, 97. This is a very similar story to like Friday the 13th, 1 and 2 as well. Um, I do want to point out, I read that Kevin Williamson actually already had three Scream movies written when they were filming Scream 1. They just didn't use them necessarily. Yeah. Right? Like, we'll definitely find out when we get into three, but, like, what parts of his original script, but he already had a trilogy in mind when he wrote it from the get-go, which is pretty fucking neat, because that didn't happen a lot with horror movies. Yeah. But we open with a theater that's showing a movie called Stab. It's based on the uh, the Woodsboro murders, the book by uh, Gail Weathers. Right. And uh, so now it's made it into the quote-unquote real world, and uh, we've got Maureen and Steven Omar Epps and uh, Jada Pinkett right. going in there to see a movie. And quickly, Jada Pinkett's character is really, really racist and really <laughs> abrasive and really bitchy. So you really want her to get it. and uh, A knife, not a penis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, she sends uh, Steve to go get her some popcorn right. with his money. And uh, he ends up going to the bathroom and he goes in the bathroom stall and he hears this weird, weird talking in the oh, stall yeah. next to him. And uh, he puts his ear up to the wall to try to hear it better. Somehow our killer knows to stab right there and get him in the head. That part bothers me. I have to say it. What really bothers me is I watched all these, you know, back to back for the podcast. And my head kept mixing up this and the glory hole with the Wayans brother <laughs> from the scary movie. Like I couldn't, I couldn't like fucking not do it. It was just, I was like, okay, so does he go in the stall or is that just the glory hole and the spoof? Or does he, oh, nope, nope, he's actually doing it. Because it's been a while since I've seen any of the sequels because the first one I watch every year. But, yeah. you know, it's just really funny that they did such a good job in scary movie with that scene that I couldn't distinguish the two in a memory for a hot minute. Yeah, and they do that. Even in the first one, when I'm talking about the, the actual movie, I want to make jokes about scary movie. I'm like, wait, 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 that's the wrong movie. So he's our first kill. And then uh, the ghost face puts on his jacket. 
mm-hmm. and goes back and sits down with uh, Jada Pinkett. Because what's going on is, you know, everybody in the theater is getting handed Ghostface costumes. Yes. And I don't remember Scream 2 being like this when we went and saw it, but whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so it doesn't look weird. It doesn't look out of place. And uh, he stabs the shit out of her. Um, she's bleeding, freaking out. There's like one person you can see in the background that notices this is going on. She makes her way up onto the stage that's in front of the screen, screen <laughs> and lets out this horrible fucking cry and drops dead. I'm, I'm real hard on this opening scene because I hate, I hate every stitch of her acting in the opening of this movie. Which is unfortunate because she's a good actress she is. everything else I've ever seen And that's in. the thing. I don't have a problem with her, but and I, it may be the dynamic that they're setting up real quick in the movie is you need to hate her because she's fixing to be gone. We don't want you missing her the rest of the movie. It's just really weird because this opening scene out of all the screen movies is the most out of place scene out of all four movies. No, yeah. it's just really odd. I don't know. Like I thought that in theaters, I, I think it on every rewatch. No, yeah. but it sets us up that there's now there's the stab movies happening. And now there's these two people that are, they're dead. And I probably shouldn't have said their names right now because that they actually figured that out later. We just know it's to, what is it? Windsor college. Yeah, it's Windsor College. We always say names, though, sort of an odd yeah. thing. <laughs> so we cut to Sydney getting a crank call, and she's got caller ID, and she tells the guy back his phone number, and is like, you know, rattles off some some law or something, you know, penal code, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> making uh, crank phone calls. And uh, she's got a roommate with her, uh, Hallie, and Hallie's getting some clothes out of the closet, and you've got a Freddy Krueger-esque sweater hanging there. Stripes are the wrong color, but it's obvious that's what they were going for. It's a throwback in some fashion. Yeah. And on the news, you're hearing about the two Windsor College students that got killed at the premiere of Stab. And uh, they actually say the names, that it's Maureen Evans and uh, Phil Stevens. That's what it is. It's yeah. his last name, not the first name. But That would have been too coincidental. Yeah. And she's like, oh, it's all going to calm down after the movie comes out, blah, blah, blah. And Hallie's telling her, is like, oh, you're coming to the mixer, right? So Because there's a sorority mixer thing. She's not telling her she's got a pledge, but she at least needs to come hang out. Right. And... Uh, we get to see Noxzema girl here again, right? <laughs> yes, we eventually do. Um, but we cut to our introduction of Randy, because he's still around. He's in school. Cool. Uh, Mickey and Cece. And they're having a discussion about sequels in the horror. Well, sequels in general, but they stick in the horror genre in film class. Right. And uh, we've also got uh, Joshua Jackson in there. And Cece, of course, is. Sarah Michelle Geller. Thank you. I forgot <laughs> Buffy's name. Buffy. And you definitely get the vibe that Mickey is the serious version of Randy. Like yeah. he, he knows his movie shit too. And uh, I mean, I love Timothy Oliphant and fucking everything I've ever seen him in, but I don't know if I'd seen him in anything before this. I don't think I'd seen anything before this and he's great in it. He's like, great in I've bitched about how he went later in his career, but he's great in this. <laughs> um, but we end up getting the, the joke that Randy makes that how would he make his sequel different and be like, I'd let the geek get the girl. <laughs> and, um, uh, we get introduced to Sydney's new boyfriend, Derek, Jerry O'Connell. Man, I'm having a bad time with names today for some reason. Which, I mean, if you can't picture them, fucking sliders and stand by me. That's always what I think of. I always think of sliders and Joe's apartment. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a big Joe's apartment fan. I fans. love that movie, man. <laughs> so we, at least we know she's seeing somebody. We're introducing who's left over and who's new in life through these scenes. We get uh, Gail comes back and she's got a new cameraman, Joel. <laughs> He's pretty funny in the movie. There's this other reporter, Debbie Salt who's like runs up on Gail trying to talk to her. It's like, oh, there's murders again. What's going on? What, a, does, what does Gail Weathers think about this? That's uh, Lori Metcalf, right? It's Roseanne's sister. Yes. From the show Roseanne. That's what I always recognize her from. Exactly. The sisters show up and we get uh, Rebecca Gayhart and uh, the other girl. I totally forget her name, but she's been in other stuff too. So Dewey shows up. We have him <laughs> back. Boom, 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 boom. And he's all gimpy. Yeah, he's got the gimp up and <laughs> he's got the little hand yeah, up. His, his hand's all looking like dude from MASH and shit. <laughs> and uh, so we see that he's still around. He ends up talking to Sydney and he's like, look, you, you got to understand. We don't know if this is a copycat or what this, that, and the other. But or one important thing he says to her is whoever it is, you probably already know him or her or them. <laughs> is, is he a cop in this one? I don't remember. Is he like private security? That's the thing. He doesn't really, he's not in uniform ever in the movie. No, he's in, he's in his civvies and I don't remember him in any actual official capacity doing anything uh-uh. but he does say we like we know but they probably he was a cop that survived the the woodsboro massacre so they would have probably brought him in as like some sort of yeah because we're cross country in this movie we're in like ohio or something yeah i don't even know where it's at but i, I definitely knew it wasn't woodsboro yeah gail surprised the sydney with cotton weary for right. an interview and uh 
He's Sid. so, Liev Schreiber is so like goofy in this movie for somebody who plays such serious roles always. Like yeah. he, just, he just wants to be on like Oprah and shit. He just wants to talk and get his 15 minutes. Yeah. He wants his 15 minutes of fame after what he's been through. And, uh, Sydney's not happy about it. She actually backhands Gail. So Dewey and Gail have their moment together, which culminates the only important part of their conversation is, uh, He's bitching about how she wrote about him in the book. Oh, yeah. He's not like, happy. Dewey enters the room with his Barney Fifish, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> but uh, he goes through the spiel. I'm going to try this for an important reason. If I botch it, we'll move on. How do you know my dim-witted inexperience isn't merely a subtle form of manipulation used to lower people's expectations, thereby enhancing my ability to effectively maneuver within any given situation? <laughs> it's such a great line. And David Arquette delivers it so perfect. And he has another one of those lines in the third one. Yeah, I don't think I wrote it down, but no, like it is not as good. It is not. And the only reason I wanted to go through that one is one, it's good. And plus, we had a buddy, Seifer, that used to be able to quote that shit perfectly. So we're moving on to it's the night of the mixer. And right. we've got sober sister, Cece, just chilling at the empty sorority house watching Nosferatu. Really um, funny. The Buffy's watching a vampire movie. Yeah. But uh, she gets the call. She ends up doing the killer gets in the front door while another girl's leaving. She does the same thing. She runs up the damn stairs and uh, she ends up getting thrown out a glass door thing out onto a balcony, stabbed in the back a few times and thrown off the fucking balcony to her death. She's really just in and out of this movie so quick. It's not even yeah. funny. And while this is going on, we've got some what's going on over at the mixer. And uh, this is when we get our real quick when they're over there, the Matthew Lillard cameo. I think it's around the time of the blowjob conversation. <laughs> and uh, if you look, you'll see him in the back. He hugs Mickey. Okay. And, but he's got fucking blonde hair and like glasses and shit, but you can see him. And him and Nev Campbell were dating at the time, right? So he just happened to be on set and he put on like a blonde curly wig and glasses and just like walked by. Exactly. And uh, somebody comes in and they're like, there is something up at Omega Beta Zeta. And what it is, is it fucking CC done went fly Buffy fly. She, she gone. <laughs> and, uh, so everybody goes over there. Debbie Salt's the first reporter on the scene. She beats Gail Weathers there. And uh, Sid's just standing around in the house and the phone rings and she's going to walk out and she turns around and picks it up. I don't understand that, but <laughs> she gets the call and uh, chase ensues. What ends up happening is Sid ends up outside and Derek goes in and he ends up in a scuffle and gets his arm cut. Very lightly. Yeah. I mean, he is red herring city in this movie. He is. And that's something that just like the first one, as these characters are being introduced, the first opportunity they give you for a lot of people is, oh, it could be this person. Oh, it could be that person. We're, we're, we definitely do that again. A huge problem with this movie, though. This is one of the first big movies to ever have its script leaked on the Internet. I kind of glossed over that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the script got leaked and they had to rewrite the movie and change the ending and it's so funny on the Still Screaming documentary, Wes Craven's talking about it getting stolen. He looks dead at the camera and he goes, fuck all of you that did that, right? Yep. And uh, there's been it's, it's pretty much an urban legend. The urban legend on the internet is always that the boyfriend, I mean, we're spoiling the movie anyways. Yep. The boyfriend and the and her roommate, Hallie, were the killers originally. Yep. But Kevin Williamson on recent interviews said that was never true. But if they had to rewrite the whole fucking movie, there's only so many people that could have been the killers. I know. And that's the thing, because I watched a, a recent thing or read a recent thing with him where he's like, oh, yeah, the shit on the Internet never mattered because I was changing it all the time as we went, which I think was just BS. But it is neat that they were like giving him blacked out pages, like <laughs> redacted government documents and shit. Debbie Salt, when she's getting interviewed on, on one of the documentaries, she said she got her script and like for just her role. Yeah. And like there's so many redacted parts and she points at a mask behind her. And she goes, I had a feeling I'd be wearing one of those by yeah. the end of the movie. <laughs> So it's crazy. And the cast didn't know. Right. Um, they didn't know until they needed to in the shooting schedule. So we cut to Derek in the hospital. You'll see Wes Craven in the background. He's a doctor in the hospital. Right. The story's suspicious because, and is it, is it Mickey that's telling Dewey? Isn't it convenient that the pre-med student seemed to miss, or is it Randy? I think it's Randy. Randy's okay. saying it's convenient that, that the pre-med student knew how to miss every artery in his okay. arm. Mickey's around. They have Mickey in the background a lot during the conversations. They like, do. He feels like the new Stu to me, kind of, right? Kind of. Yeah. And we end up with Gail and Dewey and Chief Lewis, which is actually, I forget his first name, but it's David Arquette's dad. Yeah. He said it was so cool that there was uh, like a drawing from Mad Magazine that was him, his wife, and his dad. Yeah. It. But uh, they're together, and Gail's the one who figures out the names of the first victims, mm -hmm. or actually the first three victims. And she starts putting it together, and it's like, 
oh no, we do have a copycat killer and they're killing people based on their names reference to the original Woodsboro or stab in order. Uh, yeah. In order. So by this time, Sid's got cops following her everywhere, but we have the, the top gun scene in the cafeteria where uh, Jerry O'Connell gets up on the table and does the whole, I think I love you thing and gives her his Greek letters. Right. And they're like, Oh, isn't that a faux pas? And it's like, Oh yeah, the boys are going to have his ass for that. So as Dewey and Randy are having the discussion about how it could be a him, it could be a she, it could be a them, like... Well, if I'm a suspect, you're a suspect. Do you have a point? Okay, let's move on. They get to Randy going through the rules. And rule number one, the body count is always bigger. Rule number two, the death scenes are much more elaborate, with more blood and gore. Carnage candy. And then Randy starts to go into rule number three, and uh, it's if you want your films to become a successful franchise, never, ever, and then Dewey interrupts him. Mm-hmm. And there's an extended trailer where he actually says the whole thing, and what it should have been was never, ever, under any circumstances, assume the killer is dead. And this goes back to the first one with, you know, this is the part where the supposedly dead killer comes back for one last scare. I think that they stopped it, too, in the movie to make it be like, you need to stop the horror franchise. Like, I think it was like an inside joke. Ah, so we cut to the scene with uh, Sydney doing the whole Cassandra bit, which I'm just putting it in here to bitch about it because they've got all these people in masks and robes. And during the bit, it's like fate's eyes now fixed on me and they're all chasing her and stabbing at her. And she sees Ghostface, like real Ghostface and all of it. But I think it's all in her head because there's so many people on stage and so many people sitting there. It's not it's rehearsal but there's enough people sitting in front of the stage that i think somebody would have noticed that i know and so they think she's just having an episode we see noxima girl again she's one of the (laughs) ones that takes off her mask wes craven actually wrote that scene i don't remember why he had to like throw in a filler scene and wrote that whole part in that's right so we end up cutting to randy gale and dewey out in the quad and they get the call but so they're all running around somehow in the conversation they realize they're seen right so they're all like running around grabbing phones away from everybody Randy starts talking to the killer, starts poking at him, like trying to get a rise out of him, starts talking shit about Billy Loomis. He was a pansy ass mama's boy. Right. And right when he gets to that line, the door to the news van that he's done walked up to comes flying open. He's yanked into the van, door shut and gets the shit stabbed out of him. Oh, yeah. Which really sucks, man. I hate that his character got killed. I just don't think I mean, I'm a creeped out horror movie fan. Okay, like all I do is watch horror movies. I leave the shower curtain open (laughs) in the bathroom so that if it's closed, I know there's a killer in there. Okay. I just don't think Randy would have walked backwards up to a blacked out van that you couldn't see (laughs) when he knows there's a slasher out there. Right. This is true. But it was also a heated moment. I think what's even worse is the guys coming by with the boombox and shit. Yeah. So they don't hear the kill. I know he told Wes Craven. He's like, that sucks that you're going to kill me. But if you're going to kill me, I want to fucking go out with a bang. I want blood everywhere. I want you to cut my carotid. You know? And yeah. So they did it. <laughs> uh, Gail and the others end up coming over to the van and find the body. And like you said, he is fucking bloody as hell. And he gone. And uh, we get a pretty good scream out of Gail. We're then back to sid in the library and i huffed at this because there's the whole instant message thing yeah on the library computers which is just dumb but uh cotton weary shows up and kind of pulls sid into the stairwell where the cops can't see her and wants to do this diane sawyer interview (laughs) wants to do this diane sawyer interview so fucking bad and he's being real aggressive about it he is very much a red herring in this film as well yeah and it's just more of that he wants his 15 minutes and god damn it it sounds like he's getting mad enough to kill for it (laughs) Um, we end up seeing Debbie Salt again, trying to talk to Gail again. And I think this is when Joel quits because <laughs> he's like, you know what? I've had it. I think he read her book. He's like, I should have read your book before I got this job. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's like, I read about your last cameraman. He got gutted. And she's like, oh, I made that up. He had his throat slashed. <laughs> Whatever the guy ain't in the union no more. <laughs> But he's smart enough to go. And wasn't there a discussion between him and Wes? Like, I'm going to leave. I don't want to die. My character just needs to leave at this point in the movie. Yeah, and he's like, I wouldn't go in there and do that. He's like, well, how are you going to leave? In a taxi. <laughs> so that's how Joel leaves, in a taxi. That's some funny shit. But Gail and Dewey um, get to talking, and they realize if the killer's been watching them, they've had Joel roll in film. Maybe they should review it. Maybe they'll see something. So they go into like the AV lab and they've got the footage playing on a Sony PVM 2950Q. Um, It's a really nice RGB PVM. I'm only saying all that because I own one. (laughs) Really (laughs) nice monitor. Anyways, 
they notice that the footage is not Joel's footage. They start seeing shit from like the first kills at the theater and weird shit like that. Like, holy shit, this isn't what we're playing. Who's up there? And we've got the killer come out of the booth. They split up. There's this big, long down the hallway doors and shit. Eventually they make it into this recording studio and Gail ends up having to watch Dewey get it through the glass. Right. Getting fucking stabbed and bloody face thrown up against the glass and sliding down and shit. It may cut to something else, but then she sees Cotton Weary in the hallway covered in blood. Right. He's like, I found Dewey. And then she's ah, running off and shit. He's the reddest of red herring. Yeah, yeah. They, they beat that over the head so hard in this movie. So Sid gets taken off to, to a safe space with uh, Hallie and uh, the cops are driving. And <laughs> how does this even happen? It, is Ghostface just like running? Uh, to keep up with stop. the cars? I don't know if they're at a stoplight. Okay. I don't know. Maybe they haven't even left yet, but okay. they're in the car. And they're talking, and they're goofy cops. Yeah. And uh, Ghostface just breaks through the um, glass and murders one of them. Okay. And then the other one wrecks the car trying to get away. It's really kind of gruesome, though, because... Yeah, the pipes come through the windshield and, and through the head. And he goes the guy's fucking head, yeah. man. <laughs> so the car is wrecked, the cops are dead, and Ghostface is actually in the driver's seat at this point, unconscious. Yep. And uh, the girls manage to get out. And why, why didn't you think of this as soon as you got out of the car? But anyways, they get walking away from the car and Sydney's like, I'm going to go back and see who it is. <laughs> and uh, she goes back. Ghostface is gone. And yeah, she should have pulled the mask there, took a gun, shot him. Any of that. It's just so fucking dumb that she survived the Woodsboro massacre and then just tried to run off past the unconscious killer's body. Yeah. But it's all the setup for Hallie to get stabbed while they're talking about where'd he go. He just hops out from behind some construction barrier or yeah. something. So Hallie's gone. So anyways, Gail's calls the, uh, goes to call the cops from the, one of the campus payphones. There used to be these things called payphones. <laughs> anyways. And we're not talking about the TARDIS either. We're talking about <laughs> actual phones. And Debbie Salt is there again. <laughs> just saying. So, uh. Sid, I'm just going to say it right here. Did you ever think she was the killer when you saw the movie the I first did, time? This is what I thought. I never thought she was a killer. I thought she was an accomplice. Okay. I don't recall thinking she was the killer. But it's, I'll get to it when we get to the end. I fucking hate it when whodunits do this. But just, just keep on rolling okay. with it. At some point in here, the frat guys snatch up Derek. Yeah. Because he's in trouble. Because he gave away his letters. You think it's Ghostface at first because you see like a cloak in the darkness running. Yeah. I'm like, why has he got blue jeans on under the cloak thinking about the killer? Yeah. Well, it's like the cloaks in the Cassandra bit. Yeah. So we end up with Sid getting back on campus and she wanders into the auditorium. Yeah. Because they had like a big bender party in there and they had him tied up to the Zeus yeah. Thing, right? Like in the play. Yeah. So she makes it up on the stage and that's what drops from the fucking rafters all of a sudden. And he's all fucking tied up to it and mouth tape shut and shit. Then we've got Ghostface. Just boom. Right there on stage. Mask comes off very quickly. It's Mickey. Yeah. Which Mickey was so obvious to me, like the whole fucking movie that I was yeah. like, it's the right kind of obvious. It's that motherfucker, you know? Yep. And he goes through the whole spiel about how he had to have a partner. Sid chose wrong again. Should have never chose Derek. And shoots him in the fucking heart. Yeah. Sid's fucking emotional wreck right now. He's like, I love this guy. He was going to kill me. What, you're, what the fuck, man? So she's freaking out and like trying to stop the bleeding. But it's, it's one, of, one of the many gruesome shots that was shot expecting an NC-17 yeah. that they could cut down to an R. So he says that, that Derek was in on it. Like Derek's like, no, it wasn't me. And she looks confused. I think she pulls the tape off and he says, Gets to say yeah, something. Yeah, and, and I don't know if she necessarily believed him, but it's when Mickey shoots and kills him that she's like, oh, he's full of shit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Mickey's like, now's about the time for our mystery guest to enter. And stage right, it's Gail Weathers. Right behind her, it's Debbie Salt. Right. And Sid immediately goes, that's Mrs. Loomis. Right, right. And it's like, oh, holy shit. That's what this weird imposter lady that's been all up Gail's ass is about. <laughs> and um, she goes through the whole spiel about how she found... <laughs> She found Mickey on like a serial killer chat room. Right, right. And he just needed some nurturing. And Mickey's like, tuition is expensive. Yeah. So we figure out that they formulated this plan together that she was going to get good old fashioned revenge because you killed my boy. And uh, Mickey was just fucking crazy, but he would be a star after this. Right. Well, he specifically wants to be a famous serial killer. Yeah. And that's why they have the footage and stuff. So you can see his kills. Debbie Salt says, my motive isn't as 90s as Mickey's. I just want good old-fashioned revenge. Yeah, somewhere in all this scuffle, Gail gets shot in the stomach and falls down in the orchestra pit. Yeah. Because shit gets kind of crazy real fast here. I think we glossed over it. I'm pretty sure Debbie Salt shot Mickey. 
after explaining everything, right? And yeah. that's when she says that I just want revenge. I think he's already on the ground at that point, isn't he? Yeah, because and that's what it is. She shoots him, and he still has his gun in his hand, and sh- that's when he shoots Gail. Yeah, yeah, it's like a wild shot. Yep. <laughs> Sid says something about bad about Billy. And that's when we get her saying, it's like, oh, you don't want to go there. Randy <laughs> said something about my boy and I got a little knife happy. Yeah. And uh, she plays a good crazy woman. I would have never oh, thought it. Oh, yeah. She's great. They just they had her in the movie too much. We could have done like two of the scenes with her like, oh, here I am again. And it would have felt better. Here's my problem with this. And this comes up again in the next film. I like slashers with a whodunit aspect. I love trying to figure out the killer. I'm generally pretty good at it. I hate it. When the killer is somebody that wouldn't have made sense to be the killer, except for there's this piece of information, like it's Billy's mom or something that they didn't tell you. So you can't oh, accurately figure out who the killer is. You never had enough to piece it together. They do the same fucking thing in the next movie. They do. Like, I mean, the at least in that one, the person's partially suspicious as the killer. You could dismiss it as a red herring. But if you knew all the information, it, it would have been the killer. And I guess that's the thing, but it takes away that fun element of, of getting to try to figure out who the killer is to me. Yeah. It just pissed me off when they do that. Yeah. Like Billy and Stu, it could have easily been them. You weren't missing any information. Yeah. It was just, it was the two that got you, you know? So I don't know. That's just my piece on it. So Sid and Miss Loomis, Debbie Salt, whatever, they're fighting, going in and out backstage. And uh, Sid ends up dropping some bricks on her. And around this time, Cotton Weary shows up. Use the word bricks loosely. I'm pretty sure they're foam. Yeah, yeah, they're foam. But for some reason, they knocked her out. Well, still, the big ones get pretty heavy. But yeah, 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 yeah. they're definitely props. So Cotton Weary shows up and he ends up grabbing Debbie Salt. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. And Sid's like, meet Mrs. Loomis. And uh, there ends up being this whole recap thing where Sid quickly has to tell Cotton Weary what's going on. And uh, Cotton Weary's like, well, really? How do I know? How do I know you're even telling the truth? But that Diane Sawyer interview is looking really good right now. Right. <laughs> he shoots Loomis and then Gail pops up and almost gets shot. Cause right. Cotton Weary's like, are any more people going to pop up? And then Mickey pops up. <laughs> cause this is, yeah. Cause Gail and Sydney shoot Mickey. Cause right. he's, he's so fucking dumb, man. He just stands up screaming, screaming covered in blood. He gets lit up. It's really important though. It looks like Cotton is seriously thinking about siding with Debbie. Yes. Because she's talking about how she could make him a star out of this. And yeah. it's the key thing there is, is Sid goes, I'll do that Diane Sawyer interview. And then he just pulls the gun over, pow, pops her in the fucking forehead. Yep. Well, he doesn't shoot in the forehead. She gets shot in the forehead later by Sid. Yeah. He shoots her though. Yeah, he does shoot her. But yeah, that's what ends up happening. We cut back to uh, Gail outside. Joel's come back here to film the recap of everything <laughs> that just went down for some reason. We see Dewey. Still alive again. Right, I guess right. he's going to just be more gimpy now. He's the cockroach. And uh, the reporter swarms Sydney, and Sydney shies away from him and points over at Cotton Weary. He's like, here, get your, here's your 15 <laughs> minutes. Let him, he's the real hero. Let him tell the story. And it, you know, we kind of covered some of the stuff as we went through it. To me, on the series as a whole, I still really like the second one. The second one, even with its flaws, feels like a continuation of the first one to a certain extent. And then I start losing interest when we start moving into the third one, it was cool to see Sid grow from high school to college. Yeah. And as far as horror movie sequels go, it is definitely ranked as one of the better ones to me, but I still feel like it was rather weak compared to the first one. And I honestly, you know, I'm a sequel hater. I feel like they could have just stopped, you know, at the first one and we would have been okay without this one. But I mean, it was fun to see it keep going and it, it definitely had its parts. It's one of the few franchises I've seen that can rip itself off over and over again and it not be cheesy because the movie is meta and ripping off the genre anyways. Yeah. As you go in it, it's one of those things that just like helps it. But it definitely feels more dated watching the second one than the first one. It does. With the way the movie rips on itself, that's the turn we see it take in the next one, which I really think saved it. And that was Scream 3. All right, guys. And we're going to call it here for the week. This was going to be one long four film Scream franchise episode, but in post, I decided that uh, it was a little too long at two hours, especially since I know we have a long director episode coming up. So why not just split it in two? I hope you enjoyed the first part of the Scream franchise, and I hope that you enjoy the second part next week. Please keep sending comments to sbyspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us at Twitter and Instagram at sbyspodcast. Please keep coming back, spreading the word, and have a good week. Thanks, guys. You forgot the first rule of remakes. Don't fuck with the original.